But I want to jump back into this thing about the road to Pentecost. And uh, I, I kind of viewed this as asking Shane, because Shane's been in the news reporting and all that. And, and I wished I could have got him to do a little uh, video of, uh, I wonder what an on-site reporter at the end of the day on Pentecost would report. I mean, uh, an actual news reporter, not a news commentary commentator commentary and um, I just wonder what they would say from a, a bird's eye view of what happened there when John Ashcroft who is by the way speaking at the, re, at the senior retreat in May uh, became the Attorney General there was a little bit made of that he was part of the assemblies of God and they speak in tongues and uh, there was this kind of like, it's just interesting to see how people outside of the context of that handle that. And especially when it first happened. Can you imagine that? First time something like that ever happens. And I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not going to try to do role play here, but I wrote down maybe the script that that <clears throat> news reporter would follow. As you well know, Less than two months prior, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, an expectant, joyous celebration was anything but that when one Jesus of Nazareth was publicly crucified. This controversial rabbi who claimed to be the promised Messiah has been rumored to be alive. Yes, and some of his followers have claimed that he has been resurrected and they have seen him. Local authorities have reported that this is not true. They claim that some of his followers stole the body and is claiming that he is now alive. There's been concern over these last few days of a group of these followers, estimated around 120, staying inside a building inside Jerusalem in some kind of prayer vigil. They have stayed there for days. Well, that building earlier this morning became the epicenter of something that has this entire city in a buzz. <clears throat> The bottom line is that an estimated 3,000 pilgrims here for the Feast of Weeks have joined the ranks of that 120, even to the point of taking on their rite of baptism. Witnesses claim that the group of 120 were speaking in dialects that they did not know, dialects of those who were in this mass procession to the temple. Well, this supposedly stopped the procession. Pilgrims heard in their own dialects messages about God. Now, I know our listeners will wonder at what we are reporting, but we're simply giving what witnesses have spoken has happened. We're still waiting for local authorities to respond. So far, they have refused to comment. Does that sound like that might be the case? They're waiting to comment. We're not getting any report from those people. But I wanted you to think about the breaking news. We're going to go to uh, Acts chapter 2. We're going to take that kind of approach because when you're reporting news, you want to know what's one of the first things you want to know? What's happened? And who was involved? And what were the results? And those are some of the things we're going to talk about this morning is looking at it from that prism, just the facts. Let's just state the facts. What happened? That's that first slide. What happened? 
Acts 2. Follow this with me. When the day of Pentecost came, I'm reading this out of the NIV, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing <coughs> of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here's what happened, and I've just got some, some of the items up here. This is Pentecost, another uh, word for Feast of Weeks. This was 50 days, seven weeks plus a day after Passover. This was a celebration of harvest. It was a big celebration. It was one of the three festivals that all able-bodied Jewish men would bring their families to Jerusalem. This was, the, the city was overflowed with pilgrims, with people there to make the procession to the temple that day to fully celebrate the Feast of Weeks. So there's a massive number of people there. And then you have the sights and sounds of Pentecost. Now, we're going to get in a moment to who was involved, but you have this upper room experience, and we're just going to kind of give you the facts. What happened there? The first thing that you take from that is that there was a sound, and it just wasn't, you know, an un, just a, a light sound. This was a loud sound. It didn't say that a powerful wind blew into the upper room. It said the sound of a powerful wind blew into the upper room. And, but even if a wind or a breeze came with that sound, we don't know. It's, they were in an enclosed environment. It just says specifically that the, a sound of a mighty wind, a violent wind, filled the whole room. And if that well, did have a breeze with it, it wouldn't be surprising because Numa translated spirit. Hagia Numa, Holy Spirit. Numa can also be translated breath. You know, we got a lot of medical uh, terms come from Greek because the Greeks were like the founders of modern medicine. So you got cardiologists. Well, that's cardia is the Greek word for heart. You have pneuma, which is the word for breath or spit, and then you have somebody who has pneumonia, something to do with their breathing. So Jesus told Nicodemus, says, being born of the Holy Spirit, it's not, it's not surprising that a wind, listen, it's not surprising that the sound of a wind characterized this event. Jesus told Nicodemus, says, being born of the Spirit is like the wind. The wind blows where it wants to blow. Nobody knows where it comes from and where it goes. So is the person who is born of the Holy Spirit. So it's not surprising that we have wind there. The crowd resident in that building also saw something. There was sight along with the sound. The Holy Spirit showed up with the sound of wind, but he also showed up with this visual representation of fire. A massive fire, a cluster of fire entered the room, and the cluster of fire looked like a bunch of tongues on fire. And it says that there was a separating of that cluster of fire and tongues like fire went and they said rested on each of them, not above them, 
but came and touched them. And I think the word suddenly that's in chapter, uh, verse 2, that suddenly there was, I think all of this is sudden. I think this is just like the promise of the Holy Spirit is boom, 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 boom. It's, just, it's happening like that. That there's a sound, there's fire, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. This rapid fire of God, they began to speak in other tongues. Glossi is the word translated tongues. Languages, known languages, but not known to those who are speaking those languages. We'll get to that in just a moment. But, but no doubt that all of this is being orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the promised paraclete, the gift of the Father, that Jesus told these people to wait in Jerusalem until they receive that gift, this is it. This is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And it says that they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. I think Dale Everett probably did as good a rendering of that as, as you could hear when he was here preaching. But that word, to give them utterance, is only found three times in all of the Bible, in all of the New Testament. All three of those are in this book, the book of Acts. In fact, just eight verses later, when it says Peter, in verse 14, got up to speak. I'm not even going to try to say the Greek word for that because it's got like 16 syllables in it. Not that many, but it's like, wow, that's the word. It means this impetus to say something, that they were given the impetus to speak in tongues. Just like when Peter stood up, he was giving this impetus by the Holy Spirit to say something, to preach the gospel. That, that was as much empowered by the Spirit of God as the people speaking in tongues. And the only other place is in Acts 26, when Peter, when Paul is standing in front of Festus, and Festus, Festus has said, you're a madman. All your learning has driven you crazy. Now, we know how it feels to have somebody tell you you're crazy. And there's Paul, Ephesus, telling Paul, what you're telling us is like, you're mad. All of this has driven you crazy. He says, no, I am not crazy. I'm not mad. And he says, but I'm here to speak to you the truth. And that word, I'm here to speak, means that he's compelled, just like they were giving utterance. Now, stop right here for a moment. Look, look what's happened. The Holy Spirit is filling people, giving them power to speak forth, in some instances, a language that they do not know. Now, I want to ask you a couple questions here. Just hang in here with me. Did the people in the street hear their own unique dialects? That's what they said. I'm not reading the rest of it. Starting in verse 5, there was people, devout people from all over the place. That's pretty much what it says, right? I mean, far-reaching places. There were people in the streets. They had come from faraway lands, and they all had unique dialects from where they lived that was common to that place where they lived. And they said, we're hearing these people speak in our languages, but we know they don't know our languages. They don't know our dialects. And the word for them saying they're speaking our dialectos, which is dialects, and it says they're speaking in glossi, which is languages not known to the people who are speaking them. Here's another question. Did they respond after hearing these people speak what they were speaking in their dialects? Did they respond 
to Jesus as Savior of the world at that point? No. There's no record that when they heard them... Now, what we do know is this. They said, uh, well, I'll just tell you, some of them weren't moved to salvation. Some were moved to making fun of them. Oh, they're drunk. They're drunk. And that's why Peter said, no, we're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. I want to say to Peter, well, that doesn't stop some people. But there was people, when they heard, they were hearing the things of God, things of God. We don't know specifically what they were saying in their dialects, but it stopped them in their tracks, stopped the whole procession to the temple. All these people stopped and says, those people should not know what they're saying, but they're saying things about God. But none of them come to faith at that point. So the speaking languages that they didn't know that the people knew was not the trigger that led them to salvation. That would happen later. So, were the tongues for preaching the gospel to these people? You'd have to say, not necessarily. Because we don't know what they were saying, but we do know that there was no response to what they were saying until Peter got through preaching. We either have here a miracle of hearing are a miracle of speaking, and quite possibly we have a miracle of both. Because some would say that they spoke these other languages so that people could be saved by hearing the gospel, but you've got to remember that Peter stood up and preached in one common language that everybody knew, probably Aramaic or Hebrew, and all of them knew that. So... They did not need the tongues to tell them the gospel. There was a man that God anointed to stand up and preach the gospel to all of them at one time. You know, this part of the Bible strains people. There's people of some persuasions just don't want to read that. Well, I want to read Acts 2 because it's kind of strange, problematic. But let's go to who's involved here. That's the next slide. Who's involved here? Now, all 11 remaining apostles are mentioned in Acts 1. All of them are here. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All of them are mentioned in Acts 1. It says also with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers are there. And I've added Justice and Matthias because they're mentioned in chapter 1 as the possible replacement for Judas, who killed himself. Uh, they, they elected Matthias. But we have those names in particular. Those are people of the 120. I haven't bothered to add them up, but most of the 120 people are not named, right? But are they as important to what was going on there as the ones that were named. Absolutely. Talk about big things happening from small beginnings. The events around the crucifixion of Jesus had thinned his popularity. You can't get around it. There was 500 people at one time, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
when Paul says at least 500 people, it wasn't a mirage, they didn't have some kind of psychosis going on, 500 people saw Jesus in person resurrected. And there's 120 in the upper room. It seems like there was a thinning out of the popularity of Jesus. Maybe that waiting just took care. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm terrible at waiting. I don't like to wait in line for anything. Maybe there's some people like me that just left and didn't get in on it. But I'm telling you, the popularity had shrunk. They were told that Jesus had been raised from the dead, but 120 was the only ones camped in there. Now, there's also 3,000 people involved. This is the next slide. There's 3,000 people, 3,000 total strangers. This is amazing to me. They're from all parts of the world. If you looked at a map, it says that some were for, from Rome, some were from Elam, which is over toward where Iraq is. There were some from Arabia down in modern-day Saudi Arabia. There's some over in the North Africa, over in Libya, up north into Syria, over in Turkey. There's like this wide range of dialects and people. These were all people, probably most of them not personally aware or acquainted with each other. 3,000 people respond to the gospel and take water baptism that day. Now, they're not named either, are they? But they become, listen to this, they become, before an apostle steps out of Jerusalem and goes anywhere with the gospel, guess who takes the gospel with them for the first time to the other parts of the world? Those 3,000 people. If they weren't missionaries, at least they were witnesses of what happened that day. They became the first addition to the church. And they probably went to their respective places. Well, what were the results? Well, the results was the Holy Spirit had arrived. And when the Holy Spirit arrived, he empowered those 120 people. They, they were not the same people. Peter was not the same person. John was not the same person. Thomas was not the same person. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she wasn't the same person. She got filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody, Justice, Matthias, his brothers, James, one of them writing the book of James and becoming the leader of the church in Jerusalem later on. His family, there are none of these people are the same after Pentecost. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They had this fearlessness about them. And they had this thing called glossolalia. Don't you like that term? Glossolalia. i tell you, when I first heard that term, I went to Jackson, Jacksonville State University over in Jacksonville in my freshman year. And uh, English Composition 101 was a disaster, an absolute disaster. Yeah, I'm in National Honor Society, and my first attempt at a composition has a big old red F at the top of it. And it looks like the page is bleeding. It's just like, I went, whoa. I did a lot of things wrong. And this lady professor said, I'm not here to teach you grammar. I'm here to teach you composition. It was your high school to teach you grammar. 
I said, not my high school. I didn't learn what, whatever's wrong here. I didn't learn that. So I raised it up to a C before the end of the year. And now I was, my dad says, you got a C. And I says, oh, thank you, Lord. You have no idea what that C. I, I bled that C out of me. Give me anything math, anything economics 101. I would take any of those any day. The English comp. And this was her assignment at the end. It says, this is your, your semester assignment. If you're a part of a church, I want you to do a study on your church and a, a five-page paper on your particular persuasion of your church. Now, I don't think they do that today. And it says, if you're not part of a church, just pick something. And so I said, well, I'm going to do a Simmons of God. And I started researching, and there was glossolalia. I didn't even know what we'd been doing all that time. We were practicing glossolalia. It's a fancy word for speaking in tongues. And I'm telling you what, I didn't know that people had that many different opinions of glossolalia. But I want to tell you, it's in Acts 2. It's in Acts 2. It's in Acts 10. It's in Acts 19. It's in 1 Corinthians 12. It's in 1 Corinthians 14. It's all, and it's glossi. Everywhere it mentions, it's this phenomenon of speaking in languages that the person who is speaking doesn't know. When you think about Peter, you talk about someone who's a different man. This guy's totally different. He doesn't even come close to resembling what he was the night that Jesus was arrested. Not even close to it. He's fearless. And when it comes to his execution, he tells them, says, don't you crucify me right side up. I want to be crucified upside down because I am not worthy to die the way my Savior died. That's what he told the executioners in Rome. Don't you crucify me like my Savior. I don't deserve to die like he died. You hang me upside down. Now, that is not the same man that a little woman in a fire made him cower down and not even admit that he knew Jesus. In fact, before it's over, he's using profanity that he, does, he doesn't know him. And yet, here's Peter. Peter is stepping up, transformed leadership. You're talking about all of these people went to far reaches of the world willing to lay down their lives. They were not the same people. Anointed preaching. Peter, get up there, and I'll tell you, just read, just read the sermon. I'm not going to read it for you. Read how Peter preached that day. I don't think he was over in the corner in the upper room saying, you know, I need to have a sermon ready for whatever happens here. Maybe I'm going to be preaching something after all this is over with. And he's over there and he's taking notes. I need to use Psalms here and I need to use it. No, no, this is extemporaneous. This is the Holy Spirit coming upon him and he preaches a masterpiece, not because of the content, but because it zeroes in on what the real issue was. And he makes a convincing proof that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah from David. Catherine Booth was known to be that kind of a preacher. Even though women were not supposed to preach, and some people don't think, you know, my mom says, I preach all the time to my kids. So there are women preachers. But they said that she had such a compelling witness of the Lord that a guy sitting and listening to her, her sermon one time says, looked at his friend and says, if I'm ever in trouble, don't call an attorney. You go get that woman because I believe she convinced anybody to do anything. 
And on that day, Peter was a convincing voice. His preaching was anointed by the power of God. And the people said this. These 3,000 people, some of them were saying this. You tell us what we need to do. Not what do we need to say or what we need to think or what we need to believe. Their belief has zeroed in on what do we do? You got us here. We, tell us what to do. And what did, you, what did Peter tell us? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. He did not say believe because at that point, there's already belief going on. Belief is internal. Faith is internal. But it doesn't stay internal. If you have faith in here, it expresses yourself out this way. They had faith that what he said was true, and they knew they were in trouble. I think one of the reasons why we don't have real dramatic conversions today is people don't realize how in trouble they are. What a horrible place it is to be outside of God's grace. And what a dangerous place it is to be outside of God's grace. And they realize that danger. You, you tell us what to do. We will do anything you tell us to do. And they repented and they walked over to some water and all 3,000 of them got baptized. That's part of the results. But what's next? And the praise team can come up. What's next? The books, the book of Acts. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 70 times in the book of Acts. 70 times. Someone said the title could very well be the Acts of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. Because the Holy Spirit is just doing everything, empowering people. He is, he is the promised helper. He's the paraclete. He's that comforter who has come in to teach and to empower. And he rests upon the church. There's other places that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, they're, they're under, they're challenged outside. They're being arrested. They're being hauled off for interrogation. And the, this is what's going on. They're challenged from external sources to, to suffocate the message. And they're, they're relentless. They, they're threatened. And they say, well, you know what? You decide whether we should obey God or you. But I'm going to tell you, we're just going to obey God. No matter what you do to us. There's challenges from without. And when they got back and they start, started telling people that they threatened us, they're after us, they want to suffocate us, they want to take us all out. They had them a prayer meeting, and the Bible says at the end of Acts 4 that God refills them with the Holy Spirit, and they're empowered to relentlessly preach the gospel. People up in Samaria respond to the gospel. And they call for the apostles to come up there and lay hands on them so that they could be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, neither one of those things said they spoke in tongues. But I want to tell you, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is prominent. That terminology is prominent and is fundamental to what was going on there. And then you have Cornelius over in Acts 10, where Peter was a reluctant preacher. He didn't want to be there. He even told him when he got there, you know, you, I'm not supposed to be here. But it's kind of like he said, but God just made me come. I'm not even supposed to be hanging out with you Gentiles. But God made me come. So, so what do you want? I said, well, you, you have something to tell us. Tell us. And while he's preaching, didn't pray for him, didn't lay hands on him. He's not even through finished preaching. Holy Spirit 
invades Cornelius' house and all the people that he's related to that he has there. And it says he invited friends and neighbors. He had, he had that house packed with people and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. All of them. Were they, were they saved? Were they saved? Sometimes we think it's like this. One, two, three. But given what the angel said to Cornelius, I think the man was saved. Because the angel came back and says, God has heard your prayers and seen your response to the poor in helping them. And he's got something for you. The gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 19, leaders of the Ephesian church meet Paul and he ends up praying for them and they all receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and they all speak in tongues. All 12 men are brought into this dynamic. But there was challenges from within. There was tragic loss. James, one of the inner three, inner three, close circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. James was the first one to be martyred. And that just doesn't make sense to us. This is, this is one of the three that Jesus poured special. Maybe he was preparing James to be the first witness of blood. Tragic loss of James. Tragic loss of Stephen. They dealt with loss. Persecution. That rascal Saul of Tarsus was after him. <laughs> the fullness of the Spirit is, listen friends, it's not an event. Fullness of the Spirit is not an event. In other words, in what I like to say, it's an eventful awareness of God's presence, His empowering presence in your life. It's a lifestyle. It's worship. It's prayer. It's living out the purpose of God. It's knowing God's direction for you. And know that there's this paraclete inside of you that helps you through tears and through disappointments and through challenges and through loss. And you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say at times. And the Holy Spirit is this constant help for you. I want to encourage you to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Not look for moments of the fullness of the Spirit, but to live in the fullness of the Spirit. I'm so glad you guys are. Is this Waymaker you're playing? I'm glad you did that. I think I, did I have Waymaker down? But I'm smarter than I thought. No, Ben's over here. No, you're not. Would you stand with me? I don't know how many of you have ever experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I wish, I wish my wife didn't mind getting up in front of a microphone. But don't call her first lady. She will, no, she won't attack you, but don't call her first lady. She wants to just be right where she's at. And even now, she doesn't like what I'm doing. She was a good Baptist girl, missionary Baptist, started playing the piano in her little missionary Baptist church when she was 12 or 13. Because the pastor left and he took the pianist's wife with him. She knew two songs. She, they, they all sang those two songs every Sunday. 
until she learned some more. But some friends invited her over to the Assembly of God, was the Assembly of God Church in Cross City. Her and her sister didn't know anything about this. Her mother did, but her dad absolutely refused to believe there was anything genuine to that, something of that nature. He was not, he did not lean that way. I'll just put it that way. And they were at a revival and they weren't home. And so he got word and he came to check on them at that revival. When he walked in, both of them had been baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues when he walked in. When he saw his own daughters, who had no idea what that was, immersed in the Spirit, he was okay. We can go to that kind of church. And they ended up at the Church of God there in Cross City. But it took seeing his own daughters. He didn't believe in it. Because he knew that they would, neither one of them, you could force them to do anything. Hallelujah. That it had to be the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray this morning for those who are still in doubt whether this can happen to them where you didn't leave anybody out in that 120. If there was children in there, they got the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Whatever age was there, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. No one was left out, Lord. And may you leave none of us out in what you're doing today. Include us, Lord. Include us. Open our minds to what you want us to be about. Could you lift your hands and just surrender yourself to the purpose of God, no matter what it involves. So, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Whatever you have ahead for me, I surrender myself to it. I know you will provide wherever you take me. You will empower me to do that that I can't do it myself.